We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. Love that video. That's what God was doing in the life of his people at that time to cause them to return back to the land. We have looked at the fact that it wasn't because of their righteousness. They didn't get holy all of, all of a sudden. It was because God chose to do that in his plan and his purpose. They were to return to the land and restore. The enemy had torn many, many things down. And God is in the business of restoring. You may be here tonight, and part of your testimony is the fact that uh, you have found yourself in different circumstances, maybe physically, it could be uh, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, with your family, business, whatever it may be, and you needed to be restored. I think we all have. Needed to be rebuilt, and that's what God is doing for his people, Israel, during a very critical time in the life of history of the Jewish people. It's a great story we're going to look at tonight. I welcome the people that are joining us online. If you have never filled out one of our visitor's cards, we're so glad you're here. I met some new people tonight. Thank you for coming. We count that a privilege that you're with us. And if you would, fill out one of those so we could have a record of your being here and um, so I could uh, send you some emails from time to time. We have looked at the fact that God is causing uh, Nehemiah as a good leader and good things can happen quickly if you have good leaders. He is causing him to begin the rebuilding process of the wall that's around Jerusalem. It's important to remind us all the fact that in that, those days, a wall was a, it was a military um, strategy and a protection of a city that was uh, very, very important. You could keep, keep the enemy out in so many easier ways if you had a good wall around the city. And we read stories throughout the scripture. We know about Jericho and they had huge walls around, around their city and that is to protect them. These walls in Jerusalem had been broken down. There were breaches, there were gaps, there were wide open places where the enemy had destroyed the work of God. But God's about rebuilding now. And we've seen that Nehemiah, this one who was a cupbearer for a king in a, in a foreign land, God raised him up, put it in his heart, He's courageous. One thing I could say about Nehemiah is he is courageous, and he was the man for the times. You know, we study the book of Esther, and it says about her, for such a time as this. We can say that about Nehemiah also, for such a time as this. We, we began looking at the, the history and the setting of this time, and we talked to you about the enemy is going to try to stop this work. Are you surprised? From the very beginning of the Bible, we read where the enemy is against God. And anything that God's doing, the enemy's going to try unsuccessfully to try to completely thwart the will of God. It's no different in this book of Nehemiah. Seven different times the enemy is going to bring up uh, things to try to stop that work and to destroy God's people. We saw in the beginning that they, one of their tactics was, we'll get a law passed so that the faithful won't obey the law. And guys, we shouldn't be surprised in our institutions in America today, in our, our uh, governmental uh, institutions, in our cities, our state, and, and federally. We shouldn't be surprised in our school systems, our medical health uh, uh, situation. We shouldn't be surprised. The enemy always wants to divide and separate. The enemy wants to conquer, to tear down, and to fight against God. 
And so one of the things that they try to do is to pass laws, that is an agenda to pass laws that they know Christians can't obey. You and I are commanded to obey the laws of the land. How many of you drove the speed limit up here? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. It will be forever on the uh, uh, recorded on the, the streaming service, so don't tell me. How many of you had your seatbelt on like you're supposed to? Surely you did. I know you did. We're to obey the laws of the land until the law of the land would tell us to disobey God. And that is the thing that they tried to do to Daniel, remember? They said, you're not going to find something wrong. Daniel is a model citizen. You won't find anything wrong. Pass a law that he won't be able to, to keep and he'll obey God. And they passed a law, you can't pray for 30 days. So the enemy, Satan and all of his crew and enemies of, of, of Christ throughout history have done the same kind of thing. It's no different here. They tried to pass a law to get the Jewish people to stop building. They tried to, to uh, scare them with anger. They tried to frighten them. And the Bible teaches us to have no company with an angry man. We've all been there. We've seen an angry person in a family, in a church, in a work situation, a business. An angry person can destroy relationships. My heart goes out to godly women and children who have an angry dad and husband. It's, it's a weapon, and the enemy wants to use that to destroy families. It can be the wife. It can be the mom. It can be children that raise up, and they become an angry person who they can't get along with the, the teachers, and they can't get along at home. They can't get along with the, the, the police in their town. And Anger is a weapon, and I encourage you. There's nothing Christ can't give victory over, but if you have that tendency toward anger and it's not controlled, please let Christ have that because it can destroy your life and others. Then we saw that they, that didn't work. Getting mad, passing a law didn't stop the work. Slowed them down a little bit, but God's still doing the work. And then they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to terrorize them. A terrorist game plan is to threaten danger when you least expect it. A terrorist wants to do, they're cowardly, they want to do a surprise attack. They want you to be afraid at night when you put your children down to bed. They want you to be afraid when other times you would be at peace, to never know when they might attack. And that was the, a strategy that they used, these enemies, to terrorize them. In fact, they said those very words, we'll sneak in and kill them before they even know that we're there. The enemy has attacked in three different ways from the outside. But there's something different about tonight. And this is probably one of the most effective ways that Satan with his influence and the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ can cause harm and stop the work of Christ. And that is to attack within. You remember the story of the Trojan horse. They had to get inside, so they built this horse Without knowing, uh, the, the other people let them in the gates, and of course, all the soldiers come piling out of that horse and attack from within. I thought about disease today. Uh, we had two people this week just, uh, just instantly have a heart condition, a blood condition, and, and our normal uh, blood flow and blood pressure and the way God created us in this miraculous way we're made 
uh, blood got in places it shouldn't be, and both of them will be doing their services soon. It could happen instantly. So the attack from within is a very subtle, uh, you know, we know that some of the enemies of the, uh, the United States have said, we will overthrow the United States and never, never fire a shot. We won't have to attack from without. We will infiltrate. We'll be a Trojan horse. We will, we will attack from within. And this chapter talks so clearly about an enemy trying to divide. The Bible says, a house divided against itself cannot, cannot stand. So one of the big weapons of our enemy is to divide and conquer. Uh, a while back, our pastor Tommy did a video that I want to remind you of. And think about this. It, it may not be an attack by the government institutions. It may not be attacked by changing societal uh, norms, laws that passed against the church. The enemy would just as soon destroy the church from within, and that starts with you and me personally. Watch this. If I was the devil, if I was the devil, tell you what I'd do. I would try to deceive you and get you into error. I would get you off base. And if you still stayed true, I would try to disqualify you. I would get you immoral. I would get you where no one would believe what came out of your mouth. I would make you a tabloid where nobody believed you. I would remove your confidence where you were afraid to speak because your life was such a shambles. I would get you into sin. I would prowl like a roaring lion to devour you morally. And if I couldn't do that, I would try to make you successful. And I would distract you if I couldn't disqualify you. I would get you busy. I would get you so distracted and disattracted from the gospel that no longer would your prayers be about holiness and souls. They would only be about the bottom line in your business. I would get you materialistic and no longer concerned about the spiritual nature of life. If I couldn't do that, I would divide you. If I couldn't divide you, I've almost lost you. You know what I'd do then? I would discourage you. And then if I couldn't discourage you, I'd try to death. I would kill I would try my best to That's what I would do to take you out. An attack from within. It's pretty close to home, doesn't it? Let's look with uh, as the text that Jared read to us here in chapter 5 and, and see what was going on. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. There is a confrontation. There is a division. There's something wrong inside the camp. Remember the book of Acts? They came and there was a disagreement because some of the Jewish widows and some of the other Hellenistic Jews, some of the widows were getting taken care of and some were not. And that was just in the early part of the church. And it was a big confrontation, a big discussion. And, and it was about to be a big division in the church. And God called out people that we would call deacons today to help serve and to make sure those widows were taken care of. 
The enemy's game plan has always been the same. He doesn't care how he does it, just like Tommy so, so uh, well put that, to distract us, discourage us, disqualify us. He doesn't care what it is that we run after as long as he can divide us from God and for, from the word of God. So there's an outcry. There's people upset about something. And it says, for there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. And there were others who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Now, many times throughout history, all kinds of history and nations, there have been the haves and the have-nots. Remember all the television shows, Upstairs, Downstairs? How many of you watched Downton Abbey? You know, it's the, the elite upstairs and the servants downstairs, and they ring the bells for them to come up and serve them. It's the separation into classes and div division, all different ways, and that's what's happening here. There are the people that they are getting wealthy because they are able to buy and sell grain. Grain is what is needed for them to make bread and to eat and to, to be to the life to be sustained. And others, some are making money off of it, and other ones are having to mortgage their fields. They're having to take a loan out on the land that they're working and borrow money even just to survive. We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. It's interesting, this famine had been already prophesied years ahead of that that it was going to take place, and it's coming to pass just as God spoke through one of his prophets. Also, those were there, those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Not only did they have to borrow money to buy the grain so they could have something to eat, they had to borrow money to pay taxes. Taxes, aren't they fun? It's not April 15th. I'm always scared to say that around April because I know everybody, you know, has been so stressed over it about that time. Uh, but they're having to borrow money and mortgage their homes and their, their, their vineyards and their fields. They're having to borrow money, put those things up for collateral to even pay the king's tax. We in our country have learned in our history books that one of the, the rubs about the United States against England was taxation without representation. We got a lot of representation. Now, they'll tell you what they're taxing you for. And notice how much worse it got here. Verse 5. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we're helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to them, to others. So we see the elite, the powerful, the wealthy, and the have-nots, and they're divided. They're upset because we're having to borrow money at the bank and put these lands and houses up for collateral. They're upset because they uh, are having to go buy grain and it costs more than it should. They're having to borrow money to pay the king's tax. And those are terrible things. The economy is in a bad, bad shape at this time. But did you catch that fourth one? We're having to literally sell our children. Many times throughout uh, history and in different societies, we had what was called debtor's prison. We don't know, we don't think about that today. Uh, I, I talked with some people one time, this is many, many years ago, and I was talking about how we need to be faithful in all aspects of our life. We need to pay our bills. And this, girl, this lady said, no, no, we don't do that. That's not a sin if you don't pay your bills. 
And I was going, uh, uh, did you miss Sunday school? <laughs> did, is there something, uh, something that, that I've forgotten to tell you? But oftentimes when people couldn't pay their bills, they had to go to debtor's prison. The man would go to prison and pay off that debt by staying in prison. It's even worse here because they are having to sell their children. We might look at that in 2022 here in the United States and say, whoa, I'm glad that that doesn't happen here. I want to tell you what, we as a society are selling our children right now. A man told me something the other day that I thought was very interesting. And I'm not an axe-wielding crusader about what school you go to. I think we ought to have the, the uh, choice to go to whatever school you want to. I think we ought to be supported in doing that every way that we can support them. But he has a conversation with someone, and they said, you know, the public school system just gotten bad where we're at, and there's some great public school teachers, and I, and I, I applaud you for, if you're a part of that system, you hang in there. Um, and he said, uh, these people were saying, we're going to take our children out of those public schools. And he said, do, you, do your children have a cell phone? And they said, of course. He said, I'd rather you keep them in public school and take their cell phone away from them. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> that kind of hits us right in our pocket. I got my hand on my cell phone right now. Now, be honest. How many of you, if you drove off without it tonight, you'd drive back home and get it? Are we not tethered? Are we not <laughs> different than it used to be? Uh, I, just, uh, I just think that we in our society and our young people are going through, it's not new sin because the Bible teaches us there's no new sin under heaven, right? There's different packages. It's wrapped in. But our young people have accessibility to sin so much easier and so much quicker than other generations have. But I want to tell you something. Our, brother, our sons and our daughters are getting sold. Do you know Denton? County is a hot spot for human trafficking. Our, some of our uh, higher education have been uh, places where the bad guys set up shop because they want to take young boys and young girls and steal them away from their parents. We get reports all the time, and I can send you this data. I don't, uh, I'm talking, and it's being recorded here tonight. I'd be glad to send if somebody emailed to me. Uh, organizations right now that are on the front lines. I know them personally, and they're fighting to get our children back, children in Little Elm, that their mother sold one of the little girls for money to feed her drug, drug habit. Before we look at them and say, man, that's a tough situation. They're forcing their children to go and to work off as slaves their debts. We're, we're forcing our children too in all kinds of sin that we need to, we need to step back and take a big, uh, big heart check and say, Lord, what do we do? What do we do? He said they're forced into bondage already, and we're helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. And you notice, look at verse 6. Then I was very angry. Now, last time we talked about how the enemy, one of their weapons was to get mad enough to get something done. How many of you said that? It's unfortunate, but you have to get upset before you get anything done. In many cases, that's the way it is. They didn't get it done last week, but now Nehemiah's angry. I want to tell you, there's a good time to be mad. James tells us the, the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. I shouldn't be getting mad about things that pertain to me, people saying or doing things to me. I shouldn't be, get uh, mad over preferences. 
I shouldn't get mad over things that really, uh, when the day's over, all said and done, it doesn't matter. But we ought to get mad at what God gets mad at. And when we see people that are fighting against the Bible, saying it's not true and it's not inerrant, and these words are not from a creator, there's no one there that created this. You were formed by a primordial ooze that just made its way up on the, the, the beach from an ocean one time. And all of this came about being through this scientific way that we can explain. I think there's a time to get mad. And Nehemiah is at that time right now. When he saw the children getting sold, when he saw the people taking advantage and harming their brothers and their sisters, he saw trouble within. And notice what happened. And I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I consulted with myself. I like that. <laughs> he said, I just talked to myself for a little while. How long has it been since you've done that? Sometimes I want to respond uh, on social media. I'm not on hardly anything because I don't know how and I wouldn't, don't have any desire to. But I'm on one of them that I can see my grandkids' pictures and it's pretty cool. I can see some of your pictures and watched your kids grow up and I like that part of it. Um, but I get people all the time that are trying to bait you into an argument with them. And they'll say something that's usually against God's word or against the church. And I'll, I just get, oh. And my wife will look at me like, calm down, calm down. <laughs> it's going to be okay. And I want to tell you what, I want to respond. I want to give one of those long answers, you know, that fit in that social media. And that's nothing wrong with that. I've deleted a lot of emails before I sent them because I need to do like Nehemiah did. I need to consult with myself. I need to think about that for just a little while. He took time to think about what to do. He didn't move too quickly. Is there wisdom in that? Have you ever been uh, just reactionary, impulsive, said something, done something, responded somehow that you wished in just a few minutes, I wished I wouldn't have done that? Well, be careful because that's one of the enemy's tactics too, to try to get you to be impulsive. And if he can do that, he can manipulate you to do anything. So be calm, be patient, be angry, the Bible says, but sin not. And that's what Nehemiah is doing right here. He took time to make an informed and not overly emotional decision. Uh, three different responses. He found out that they were charging interest to the poor. Uh, we, live in, we live in a society, if you're going to borrow money, you're going to get charged interest, aren't you? I want to ask you, though, who gets charged the most interest? When you think about it, it would probably make sense if in a, in a country, the, the wealthy probably are going to borrow more money to do bigger projects, possibly, and maybe pay more interest. But that's not the way it is. It's the one that is borrowing out of their great need that pays the most interest. We don't have time to look at it tonight, but if you take down notes, write down Exodus 22, 25. We are not, as Jewish people in the Old Testament, they found out, we're not to charge interest to the poor. In fact, God said uh, it'd be better just for them to give those things. You know, when they... When they uh, reap the harvest in their fields, they would leave the corner of the fields. And the poor people could go in after they had cut down the grain, they could go in the corners and pick up 
the grain that was left in the field. I want you to notice something. It wasn't a handout to them. They had to go get it. They had to work for it. But leave the corners for the people who are in need. God always takes care of those that will trust him. Secondly, they were selling their brothers into slavery because of those debts. But Nehemiah is doing something different. And I want you to notice what it said. Verse 7, I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you're exacting usury each from his brother. God had told the Jews not to charge interest to their own brothers. Be okay to charge interest to somebody else. If you had a bank in a lending situation, it was fine to charge some interest there. But God said, don't charge interest to your own people, to another Jewish person. And that's exactly what they were doing. Therefore, it says that Nehemiah, I held a great assembly <coughs> against them. When I was reading that, I was thinking, have you ever heard somebody said, we had a come to Jesus meeting? Is that always fun? <laughs> have you ever had a come to Jesus meeting with somebody that they needed to hear something pretty straight, pretty... Uh, uh, pretty clear sometimes because something needed to change. Well, that's what Nehemiah is doing here. Uh, I held a great assembly against him, and I said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. And that literally had taken place. They had done everything they could to get as many of the Jewish people to come back to Jerusalem. They had helped them. And he said, we have redeemed our brothers, and now you would sell your brothers after they've been redeemed? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. <clears throat> you know, there's something interesting about the truth. The truth can just stop an argument sometimes. And he said, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be treating our brothers and our sisters that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were silent and could not find a word. Verse 9, again, I said, the thing which you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies, and likewise I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. You know why Nehemiah could speak with authority about this position? Because Nehemiah was not just speaking, he was doing. He was not telling others what to do and not doing himself. He had not charged interest to anyone and yet he had taken care of many, many people in Jerusalem. He and his men had not treated them like the others of the land. So Nehemiah had said, guys, you need to stop what you're doing. I haven't done it. I'm not going to do it. And you need to stop what you're doing. You know what I look at Nehemiah right there? I just look at him as the right kind of big brother we all need. I've told you before about my family, but uh, there are times when I was young that my big brother stood up for me, and I love him. I'm thinking, my brothers and sisters have done that for me, and I hope I have for them. What about in your life? My, my older brother, who's, he's a lot littler guy than I am, but he stood up. And that's what Nehemiah is doing right there. Nehemiah is standing up for his brothers and sisters. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that very, very much. So he says to the people, 
Likewise, I'm, my brothers, my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the hundredth part. You know how much interest they were charging? 12% of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that are, you're exacting, you're charging from them. Here again, we see how important it is to have good leadership. Good leaders ask you to follow them. They don't just send you. They ask you to follow them because they're out front. They're already doing. I want to talk to you really practically for a moment about that. I'm one of 50, uh, about 50 full-time staff of Denton Bible Church. We have uh, over 100. At one time, we had close to 200 counting the part-time staff at Denton Bible Church. And and uh, it is a wonderful place to be. I've been in other churches, and and I tell you what, uh, Denton Bible is a wonderful place to work, and and um, I'm very very grateful for the opportunity to be here. There's opportunities sometimes when people come and they get another job and they leave, and then uh, the phone will ring a year or two down the road, and they'll say, "Hey, how are y'all doing?" We're doing fine. Uh, any openings at Denton Bible? <laughs> they've gone to some other places and they realized, hey, it wasn't so bad there and it was a pretty good situation and, and can I come back? But you know what? I believe that we as the staff of Denton Bible Church shouldn't ever tell you to do anything, even if we read it right out of the Bible, if we're not already doing that ourselves. I think the staff of churches, pastors, elders, deacons, the leaders, ministry directors of churches ought to be setting the example so clearly that the congregation wants to follow in those footsteps. And that's what's happening here with Nehemiah. He's not telling all those people as an authority figure, you need to do this, you go here and you do this. He's showing them with his life. You want to be an effective leader? I know a man that was a colonel in the military, and he never sat down to eat until all of his men had eaten, including those that were on guard duty. He never sat down to eat until all of his men had eaten already to show how important they were, to show respect to them, and those men would follow him into the situation. He says there, I want you to give back the hundredth part of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Now, what would, you, what would you think of today if you got a loan at a bank and all of a sudden the bank called you and said, hey, hey, wait a minute. I know we set this up and we charge you this much payment a month and we charge you this much interest, but we just really want to lower that interest for you. And let's just lower that payment and you don't have to pay it back that quickly. And what would you think was going on? Do you think you were asleep and you're, you're going to wake up any minute and find out? I want to tell you something. My brother and I, my older brother that I just talked about a moment ago, went into a business deal together one time, and that actually happened to us. We borrowed a certain amount of money. We set it up, and before we had made the per first payment, uh, the bank called us and said, why don't you just don't worry about that first part? Don't, you don't have to put anything down. Don't worry about that. Now, you say, well, they just want to make interest off of you, and that's fine. That's their business. But I was a little bit shocked. I'll tell you something else that happened. I hope my banker's not listening here. 
my brother, at the same time we were purchasing a property and building a building on it, paid off his house. So he went into the bank and went to one of the, the, the bank officials and said, would you get all the paperwork ready? I want to give a final check and pay off my house. And instead of paying off his house, which he didn't know hardly anything on it, they paid off our brand new property and building before we had ever made a payment on it. I looked at that and I said, woohoo. <laughs> I went to my brother and, and, and uh, so that we wouldn't embarrass anyone, we went to that person personally and said, with a smile on her face, thank you, but I think we got something mixed up here and, and undid that, paid his house off. And I told my brother, I said, thanks for paying the building off. I didn't know you were going to do that that quick, but we've all done business deals before, but Guys, here's where the enemy, the enemy wants to come in and he wants to divide. How sad it is that oftentimes it, it involves money. It involves a business deal that you've made with somebody. Some people say, well, I won't work for my family because it's hard to work for your family. I understand how that is sometimes. But Nehemiah had credibility because he was living what he was asking the other people to do. I want you to give it back. Look at verse 12. And they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We'll do exactly as you say. Now, how many times have you watched the movie and it turned out like that? God is working to build that wall around Jerusalem to restore, return, restore, and rebuild. He's calling his people to turn back to him and to be the men and women of God that they're supposed to be. And when they had good leadership, who was setting a good example and good instruction, the people said, we'll do it. Can't you see what that was like? Hey, you know, I borrowed, you borrowed that money from me, but I'm going to give it back to you. Don't worry about it. Where do you think you started? Look what it says next. So I called the priests. Nothing like going to the spiritual leaders first. Set an example. You do the right thing first before you expect someone else to do it. He called the priest, took an oath from them that they would do according to promise. I also shook out from the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house, his possessions, who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptying all the assembly. said, amen. They praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. When you have good leadership, it's being a good example that gives good instruction and you follow that, God is pleased and he caused that very thing to take place. The enemy tried to destroy from within. I want to tell you today, Satan, if we let him in our lives, in our family, in our churches, in our country, he does not care how. He will divide and conquer. He will try to separate us socioeconomically. He'll try to do it by race. He's really got to done a good job about that. He'll try to do it by education. Those that are educated a certain way and those that are not. He'll do it by who our family is and what our last name is. He'll do it in so many different ways. Men and women, we are supposed to be the church that we've come from all different places. We have different color skin. We speak different languages sometimes. You've got a lot more education than somebody else does. You've got a lot more money and I've got a lot less and that's okay. Have you taken a picture, seen the picture in heaven 
I saw a multitude that could not be numbered, and they were from every nation and tribe and tongue. People from all over the world that came totally differently, but they all came and God brought them to heaven. We ought to be exampling that in our church here today. Now, I'm not talking about what the enemy tried to get uh, a long, long time ago, tried to get one of God's prophets, Balaam, a man to do something, or a prophet, Balaam. How can we defeat these, these Israelites? And he said, come and I'll show you how to do it. I want you to take your prettiest girls you've got and you put them right on the fence line. And if you'll do that, those Jewish boys will look across the fence and see how pretty those girls are. You're not going to defeat them in battle. You're not going to win other ways. But if you'll infiltrate, if you'll get them mixed. Now, why did he want them to intermarry when God said Jewish people marry only Jewish people at that time? What were they going to do? He knew that if those boys saw those girls, they jumped the fence, they took those girls, those girls were going to come into the land of Israel, and it wasn't just that they were from another nation. What were they going to get them to do? They were going to get them to worship those false gods. And that's what God was against. And he said, if you want to defeat Israel, that's what you do. You attack from within. And that's what they're trying to do here. But you know what? When God's in control... And when people will say, the Bible tells me this, I'm just going to do it. God will do just what he did for these people. Moreover, from that day, the, the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah. I want you to notice he's not a priest. He's not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He's not a scribe. He's not a spiritual leader. He is a politician. And he's a good one. And God used him to change the circumstance. Does anybody remember in the beginning of this? I think it was Corey that started out maybe or, or uh, one of us that started this. When the king where Nehemiah was at was asking, you want to go back there? I think it was the queen that said, how long? How long do you think Nehemiah was expecting to be gone? How long do you think that king wanted Nehemiah gone? Look what the next verse says. I was appointed to be their governor of the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes for 12 years. That king probably thought he was going to be back in a few days. And he's been 12 years in the land of Israel. Neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. Lord wrote through the writers of the New Testament that elders are to oversee the flock of God, not by constraint, not for dirty money, not to be forceful and harsh and mean, but to be an example of what God wants the leaders in the church to be. There's oftentimes that I pray, Lord, would you give me the courage of Nehemiah? Because I think we're going to need it. In the days, the weeks, and the years to come in our land, we're going to be called to make a stronger stand in churches than we have before. And I just want to say one word about that. Jesus is worth it. He's worth making that strong stand. But I did not because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. You mean Nehemiah, Nehemiah rolled his sleeves up and he worked? He did, didn't he? He worked right alongside the people. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. 
Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Nehemiah fed God's leaders. He didn't take money. It wasn't about him. He could have set up his own empire. He could have been the king of Jerusalem. He could have had all those people as slaves paying tax to him, and he didn't take anything from them. I think Nehemiah is who we need in our countries today, leading us and guiding us and setting an example. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me. Once in 10 days, all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not man demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. He was there to rebuild a wall and not his own personal empire. Isn't that refreshing? When so many people come in their own name. The Bible says if a man comes in his own name, people will follow him. But Nehemiah didn't come in his own name. He came in the name of the Lord God. And then that great prayer. Nehemiah prays this prayer seven times, several times in this, this book. Verse 19. Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. There was a man dying on the cross next to Jesus. In the beginning, it says both of the men railed on Jesus who were dying next to him, but something happened to one of them. And the scripture records that he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, he was dying for sin. He was being executed for his crimes. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to join the church, walk an aisle, pray a prayer. He didn't have time to go take care of widows and orphans. He didn't have time to tithe. He didn't have time to go home to his family and say, I'm sorry for what I've done, or anybody that he might have harmed. He didn't have time to do any of those things. But when he cried out to Jesus that day, Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember me, he said to Jesus. Nehemiah says, remember me, Lord. I ask you to pray for families this week because I told you we have two, two of our own this week that got up that day and had no idea that that would be their last day. In 1912, a few thousand people got on a ship, state-of-the-art ship. And as they boarded that ship, uh, a man made a boast that even God could not sink this ship. Named after a false god, Titanic. Those people that got up that day and got on that, that ship didn't think, this is my last day. I've got all my affairs in order. I've got all my money where it should be. I've said the right things to my wife and my children. I've, I've not mistreated anybody in business. I've been a good churchman. Uh, they didn't get up thinking this is my last day. They got up thinking my life will continue. You and I don't know what tomorrow holds. Some of you, uh, I, I just want to ask you to please pray for families that have lost loved ones recently. I got to watch some of our young people of the church show up at the uh, hospital when a, a man of our church had passed, and those young people ministered to his wife. 
And I took them aside and I told them, I said, it's not easy what you're going through right now, but I thank you for what you're letting Jesus do. You were an encouragement to her. And God's going to use this in your life. You'll never forget what you've done here that day, taking care of this lady. Her husband went to sleep, never knowing that would be his last time. A lady in our church the other night at 10 minutes after 8 o'clock texted her family and said, all's going well, everything's good, it's been good. Don't have any aches or pains and things are great. At 8.10, that was her text. And at 8.39, she was calling a friend, could you please come over? I'm very sick. And 911 came and picked her up and her family had to say goodbye to her. I don't know what kind of car you drove to get here tonight. I don't know what kind of citations and awards you have in your office at home. I don't know how much money you have or you don't have. I don't know what your education is. I don't know how many years you've served in a church or a parachurch organization somewhere. All those things can be great, but I want to tell you something. When it comes down to those final moments, we'll be praying that same prayer that Nehemiah prayed. Remember me. Jesus, would you remember me too? Four things as I close here tonight I want you to think about. Uh, Nehemiah was a good leader. Told him to stop buying and selling your people. Stop borrowing money and charging too much. Take care of the poor. Treat them in the way you'd want to be treated, and he exampled that. Uh, by the way, write this verse down, Proverbs 29, 2. When the righteous increase or the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When good leaders are in place, it's so much easier to do the right thing. There's four things that people are going to say about you when your Titanic comes, when your day comes, when your appointment with God comes. And the first one is, how are you recognized? They're going to say, you remember her? She had this beautiful smile, and they put the best picture on that, uh, that little brochure, and it's good to remember it. And I remember my mother-in-law, Holly's mother, I told her before she passed away, I said, when you smile, you smile with your eyes. And she just had this great smile come over her face because she had these eyes that almost twinkled at you. Uh, I had a great mother-in-law, great mother-in-law. You're going to be remembered how, and recognize, how, uh, how people recognize you. You're going to be remembered on how they regard you. When it's your time to go be with the Lord... You're going to be regarded a certain way, and we're going to get testimonies. I want to tell you what she was like, and I want to tell you what he was like. I want to tell you stories about things nobody else knows that he did for me and she did for me, and you're going to be regarded a certain way. Oh, be regarded the way God wants you to be. Thirdly, when your time comes, you're going to be remembered. You're going to be remembered. Oftentimes, you have little ones out there at a funeral service, and I ask when I do services, I ask the family, can I speak to the children for a moment? And I talk to them a little bit about John 14, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those that love him. He's building a house in heaven that's just right for them if they'll give their life to him. But I also want to comfort those children and let them know that they need to hear the story of this person that passed away. They need to hear and remember the good things that God had done in these people's lives. You're going to be recognized. You're going to be regarded a certain way. You're going to be remembered. Nehemiah prayed over and over again, Lord, remember me. But if you're in Christ here tonight and you're forgiven of your sins and you're walking with him, 
Whenever that time comes, if it's 40 years from now, 50 years from now, or if it's tonight for me and I never get to see you this side of heaven again, if you love Jesus, you're going to be rewarded. Don't worry if you don't have all the world's goods right now. Don't worry if, if your neighbor, your friends get something before you. Don't worry about that. Because there's going to be rewards in a place called heaven that nobody can take away from you. And it'll be worth waiting for them. Sometime this week, when you bow your head to go to sleep, you might do like Nehemiah did. Look inside your life. You got some things you need to get out. You got some things you need to start over, quit doing, start doing. Could be all of us. But sometimes when you pray that prayer this week, you close your eyes. Before you do, Lord, would you just say, Lord, remember me. Remember me. And he will. They tried to divide from within. You and I can have the strength that God gives us to say no, not here and not now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Nehemiah. And again, as you know, I've prayed many times in my life. I pray for the courage you gave Nehemiah to stand up and do the right thing and to say the right thing, regardless of what other people were doing around him. I thank you for these Jewish people that heard good instruction from a leader that was setting an example. And they said, we'll do it. May we be a church like that. If the Bible says to do it, we're going to do it. And when it comes our time, Lord, that you come back for us as a church or you come back for us personally, help us to pray like Nehemiah. Remember me, Lord. Remember me. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you for good leaders, good churches. Thank you for godly dads and moms and grandparents that have gone ahead of us done the right thing, you've blessed them, and they've passed those things on to us. Help us not to sell our children. Help us not to be unfaithful in business. Help us to be faithful to you, to your word, and to your work. Remember us, oh God, in Jesus' name.